I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a podcast on everything from employment to aircraft carriers. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Number Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. Hi and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. I am your host Shambhavi and joining me today we have the China dude Manoj and our latest recruit the data dude Rohan. We are going to be talking about the Osaka track today and uh, Rohan why don't you give us a bit of insight on what the Osaka track is all about. Shinzo Abe the leader of Japan recently at the G20 summit came up with a framework for data sharing called the Osaka track. It's a plurilateral framework between different countries that that's that aims to set common standards for data to be shared with trust. So in the recent signatories we have the US, the EU and surprisingly China. And for context, uh, India has boycotted the Osaka track. So it's a pretty big international development in tech policy. So that's the Osaka track for you. Right. So uh, but what what are the what is the minimum program what are, what kind of data uh, flows are we talking about? So that is yet to be decided like the framework isn't finalized yet but the idea is that some forms of data can be shared across the signatories uh, and also data centers can be stored regardless of whatever location but the data is going to be secure right but why has india then boycotted it i mean if it's china has uh, agreed to it and i think there are many mm-hmm. like the eu has agreed the us has agreed right yeah India's rationale um, has been that data is a subject that should be discussed within the WTO platform mm-hmm. because it's a form of trade. Um, there's also a strong sentiment that data is a form of national wealth, so they're not ready to share that exactly. Um, also, because we've come up with localization and data flows go inher- inherently against localization, it's it will go against everything that our domestic policies on tech have been saying so far. Right. But Manoj, if we come now to China, then isn't it a little surprising that China has agreed to be part of this? Yeah, I mean, when I first heard about this, I was a little surprised that the Chinese agreed to it. Uh, but uh, sort of on later reflection, one can see why. So let's just first understand what is it that Shinzo Abe wanted to achieve and what is it that these other guys wanted to achieve. They all wanted to basically get together and start a conversation about data sharing and f- uh, data flow across borders. <coughs> and... Uh, this would not necessarily become a binding agreement, but this would set some sort of normative framework within which a binding agreement could potentially come about. Mm-hmm. Um, if it would be a binding agreement, it would not be necessarily binding under international law. So like the WTO or uh, the UN would not go and sort of implement this agreement. It would be something between these countries. So India could potentially stay out of it. It's not an issue with that. But it because it becomes this normative architecture, then when you have a broader conversation about something like this under the WTO, you bring this normative architecture and say, well, this is how things are working among the major economies, among the major data creators. So that's a framework and that is, should be acceptable to most people. India's argument was about essentially the WTO and this idea of data being national wealth, which is what the foreign secretary also said. Um, while he kept the door open that, you know, yes, we could uh, obviously talk and we want to understand what exactly is your framework. Rohan mentioned about how uh, certain kinds of data should data should be sort of shared across borders. That's what the framework talks about. And Shinzo Abe talks about the fact that, look, personal data which has uh, which is marked and all of mm-hmm. that, uh, data which is sensitive which is sensitive for national security and those sorts of things, they can be kept separate. Uh, and he spoke about the fact that certain kinds of anonymous data, which could be related to say transportation, energy, or something like that, those can be shared far more easily because there you don't have necessarily privacy concerns. Um, and he spoke about 
this fundamental conceptual framework that would sort of underpin this entire architecture, which is trust. That each of these entities which are sharing data with each other across borders should have a certain kind of trust. How would you define trust? We still don't know. Um, but those are the sort of parameters of this Osaka track. It obviously completely uh, goes counter the idea of data, data localization. Um, India still does not have a law which uh, mm -hmm. calls for data yeah. localization. It's a legislation, proposed legislation. It still hasn't gone into effect. Um, on, on the contrary, China has a law which has gone into effect, which says that data must be localized. And it's part of the dispute that the Chinese have with the Americans in this trade war that they have. Um, the Americans have been pushing for this to be changed. Um, and, the, and the Chinese have been resistant to that. Um, so in that context, obviously, the idea that, to go back to your original question, the mm -hmm. idea that the Chinese sign up to something like this seems surprising. But if you think of it from this point of view of, there are so many caveats here. How do you define, what do you define as sensitive to national security? Uh, what do you define as, you can see certain things as anonymous and all of that. Again, the utility of this data is to companies who can then design products, design you know goods for your markets. But there are other restrictions that you can place in which the Chinese know that they can. But it's also useful for the Chinese who've already sort of had, who've already got some sort of national champions doing all of these work, all of this work in the Chinese market. Um, folks like Alibaba, folks mm -hmm. like Tencent, who are working on autonomous vehicles and all of these things, who are using Chinese data. Um, people like WeChat, for all the criticism of China being a protectionist uh, technology ecosystem, um, WeChat, uh, Yes, copied WhatsApp, but eventually innovated and out-innovated WhatsApp in many ways. Um, yes, WhatsApp faced, faces restrictions now, um, but it's not like it's inaccessible in China. Um, there are It is slower, it's poorer, but in its initial years, WeChat out-innovated uh, WhatsApp. So the Chinese have know that in their market, they've established themselves as leaders in many which ways, uh, or their companies have become leaders in many which ways. And for them to look abroad, um, it helps if you have such a framework wherein you can probably share data, yeah, but the other guy needs to out-innovate you and you've got a very heavily subsidized ecosystem so your chi national champions can survive. Yeah. You can block data on national security on certain counts, but you can also access others' data and you can innovate for their markets. Um, and this is very useful, right? In a, in a world where the Chinese are being blocked out uh, by Trump uh, and in the Europeans are now concerned about Chinese tech investments, India is showing some degree of hesitancy. So it's kind of useful for them to sign on to this, uh, if not for anything else, for signaling purposes, uh, and to be at the table when you're negotiating something like this, because you've got a reasonably strong hand to do that. In comparison, I don't see India having that strong hand. We don't have tech companies which are at anywhere levels of world-leading companies. We don't do the kind of research that has to be, that is sort of in the leading sort of cutting-edge uh, domains of world research in, say, AI. I'm um, Just last week I was reading a recent AI sort of uh, academic summit, which had uh, top 100 institutes and researchers mm -hmm. who've published, there was not a single name there of an Indian or yeah. an Indian institute. So we're not there. So for us, it makes sense to be protectionist. But uh, we must be creating a lot of data, right? So from that point of view, again, being on the table and understanding what this framework entails, wouldn't that be important from an Indian perspective? I mean, we don't have to be a signatory to it, but just from an understanding of what countries are thinking. That's right. We generate a lot of data just by existing. Um, we, we have a, a certain amount of market leverage. At the same time, if we are at the table, then we say that we might share some of our data. And I don't think that's something that we are comfortable doing right now. Well, we, we have a lot of it. It's just that we're not sure what data to share, whether to share it at all. 
and how it's going to be used for us or against us like there's a lot of ambiguity around how india should deal with data and which is why we're not at the table okay from what i understand are there other countries as well who did not who also boycotted so yeah there was indonesia and south africa if i'm correct uh, those are the indonesia for sure south africa yeah. i can't recall but indonesia for sure uh, was with us in boycotting this um and again indonesia is a large populous country mm-hmm. produces a lot of data um india produces a lot of data um i think the fundamental issue here is this if we were on the table yes i mean i like the argument of you know let's be on the table and let's talk mm-hmm. and you know but when you're on the table you're principally agreeing to the argument that there should be free flow of cross border data mm-hmm. which i can see the pros for it right i mean mm-hmm. you know uh, and nitin nitin argues this in his piece uh, in in his piece recently where he spoke about how well you know what india has so much health data and sort of genetic data and if there is a chinese company or an american company which can produce good healthcare solutions for the indian market it's great for you and i as consumers but given our technological innovation base uh the possibility of them producing this is great but the possibility of us missing out and our companies missing out on business opportunities our ecosystem missing out on business growth based on what is data generated within india um is also very high yeah. so there's a bargain that you have to make as to who benefits who doesn't benefit and where do you miss out on this entire ecosystem of this new technology um if you just look at um the internet uh, social media is one sort of component of the internet there isn't any indian company that exists within this entire framework um if you look at e-commerce most indian companies have gotten eventually crowded out to be able to create organizations and enterprises of the future you need to be able to use this idea of data as your national wealth it's a troubling idea calling mm-hmm. data your national wealth because it's not the state's data right it's yours mine so for a lot of this we also need to figure out our own domestic legislation um our data privacy laws uh bills to regulate data i think rohan yeah. can talk about this at quite length uh, mm-hmm. who owns the data how do you secure it uh, what is classified as data and those sorts of things we need to first also do those things so i think in that context it makes sense for us to just say at the moment we don't agree with this entirely mm-hmm. uh, we think localization is a good idea um and that's because a lot of capacity issues within india you don't need to talk about that externally externally you need to make the argument which says something exactly like what the government is saying is that it's our national wealth we need to decide how to use it you guys are going to benefit from it uh, you guys are going to make disproportionate amount of money um so maybe you know it's like uh, maybe we can end up looking at certain conditions by which you can access our data um and those are the next steps probably that we can go to uh, which can help also build an ecosystem within india uh an, an innovation ecosystem a manufacturing ecosystem and those sorts of things um and perhaps we can do that but a lot of that depends on our domestic legislation um also i think a broader question here is is localization our short term strategy or is it a long term plan hmm. because if we just thinking about data localization in the short term then long term we can say that we might lower some of these barriers mm. in exchange for let's say perks or manufacturing moving to india if it's a long term plan i don't know where we are going with this mm. and i have no indication suggesting that it is a short term one because up until any uh, documents that have come out the e-commerce policy the rbi notification the data protection bill they've all argued for localization but they haven't set a time frame on how long it's going to last or even how to achieve it in the first place so i'm sort of hesitant on calling it a short term uh, measure which i'd like it to be hmm. 
but I, I just don't see a strategy going forward. I, I really don't think we can enter into such an approach. We can enter this sort of space by thinking that it's a short-term strategy. Hmm. Uh, because if you do that, you've already failed. Because the kind of investment that you will end up doing to store all this locally cannot be short-term. The mm-hmm. cost-benefit will complete. The cost will completely outstrip the benefits, and you'll end up in a position saying that you've wasted a lot of money. So you have to look at it from a long-term perspective. Hmm. Um, the issue is, uh, yes, there are lots of costs associated with storing data locally, um, and those then need to be weighed. And maybe for folks to work in India and to sort of take access to the Indian market, uh, maybe they need to bear some of this cost uh, of storing it locally. And I think those costs can be managed with such such an approach. Um, because companies who are willing and who are keen to access the Indian market uh, would probably be willing to fork out some more money. Um, so I think that's one part of it. As far as uh, whether in essence it's a good strategy to localize, um, I think from a strategic point of view, like I said, it makes sense given mm. Uh, if I was to look at India as a state acting at the international level, I think it makes sense. It's an it's a valid argument to be made. Mm-hmm. From a citizen's point of view, uh, I think uh, there are deeper concerns, which has to do with um, my interaction with my state, with the state, uh, and how the state uses my data. And okay, you're storing it locally, but my concerns are with whether you can access it in a certain way, what are the safeguards against you. Um, but as a citizen also, um, I would probably be intuitively sort of a little bit more comfortable knowing that it's secure within this Indian framework yeah. as opposed to necessary with a, necessarily with a corporation somewhere in Iceland or somewhere else uh, where I don't know what they're doing with the data. Um, so from a citizen's point of view, it could be also helpful provided there are certain safeguards. But at a sort of grand international level, it works, the argument works because we've seen it work. We've seen it work in China. We've seen the government there support these uh, sort of arguments and end up creating an ecosystem. The thing is, what do we then do with the data? Um, Do we treat it as wealth, which is then invested and utilized and then creates more wealth? Or do we treat it for the lack of any better sort of uh, uh, analogy at the moment? Do we treat it it like this ghargi bahu beti whom we've locked up inside and we're not going to use, we're not going to let them out and let them sort of explore and create more things and do more things? Are we going to have that sort of a ludicrous approach to it? Um, I think that's where, at least from a strategic point of view, you need to think of the fact that, look, this is uh, wealth which we need to allow to generate more wealth. Um, And for that, you need an ecosystem. And Mm -hmm. maybe if you take that approach with, say, international companies, um, it might be far more useful. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the key difference between India and China in this context is because both of us, uh, both of our countries generate a lot of data, but China has the ecosystem to harness it. They've got global giants in uh, Tencent, Baidu, um, Alipay, Alibaba, um, that can use this data to maximize benefit, but we sort of lack the ecosystem that both the Chinese and the, the Americans have. So, and I feel like that's one of the key reasons why we are hesitant to let our data roam free because, but if we do go ahead with localization, how, what's the path forward to sort of leverage this data for betterment of India? I think there the argument is access, right? Uh, Which is where that horrible analogy that I gave uh, that was trying to sort of make the point that it's about access. You need to be able to create conditions for people to access it. Uh, And you need to create this uh, environment where if 
companies, governments, whoever else wants to access the data that you have to be able to create, say, if companies want to access transportation or road data in Bangalore, uh, they need useful. to be able to, yeah, you know, to be able to be make better solutions mm. for traffic in Bangalore. You need to be able to uh, store it locally and you need to meet certain conditions in terms of maybe your investment, maybe your R&D center needs to be here or something like that, where you uh, think of things through and you incentivize use this as an incentive for companies to come and invest in India. Maybe it could also be a case where, uh, you know, you work with a joint venture partner in India, mm. uh, which is a strategy the Chinese have applied for many, many years. And it's done great, right? It allows a, an industry leader to come to the country to access the market. It also allows diffusion of uh, technical, managerial skills and diffusion of know-how. Hmm. which then can spawn an ecosystem of similar companies because those people when after five years when they sort of move out and do their own startups um, they do their own things and that creates an entire ecosystem mm -hmm. so that's not a bad way to approach it um, but it's just that do we then think of a rational policy framework going forward in approaching it or do we take this sort of parochial approach and say we're just going to deny you guys access to this thing while we may not do anything with it because look we've got so many internal problems um, sure. And I think that's where the government has to... Yeah, actually, can I just together. jump in here? So the Department of Biotechnology has come up with a guideline a couple of weeks ago uh, on what is to be done with biological data hmm. that is created using uh, government money. Hmm. And in India, most of our biological research is funded by the government. Uh, and what they have said is that they've categorized uh, the data into three parts. One is uh, open for all. One is regulated access. Uh, and the last is uh, national security. For national security reasons, we are banning the open access to, to yeah. the permission to actually see this data, right? And what they've said is that at least within a year of getting the data, all raw, all raw data should be available on public servers. Okay. Uh, if, it's, if it falls into the first category, right? Uh, and for the regulatory access, you'll have forms to write uh, to scientists to ask for permission to actually get the data. What the guideline does not do is actually point to what is open data and what is regulated data yeah. and what oh. falls into the national security category. Mm. So how do you know? So how do you know? And that was the question I was going to come to is clarifications on what kind of data are we talking about? How do we assess it? Uh, is it okay for it to be open in a public forum? Is it not? How do we have policies that regulate that in the first place? Do we have a framework that can bin data into stuff? Um, so this is a tricky one because we generally generate data. So let's look at our phone call logs. Um, data is what, if you called a person, what were you talking about? When did you call them? How long did the call last? And that's just calls. The same goes for texts. Uh, and the idea is there's just so many kinds of data that it's hard to say where to draw the line between mm -hmm. personal, sensitive, and sort of open access. Um, but at the same time, I don't see a way where we have a framework that does not sort of regulate each and every aspect of data, even within healthcare. Health data is not just a monolith, right? You've got um, health data that can be accessed by everyone, such as past records, but current records might be a little more sensitive. So, um, yeah. So... I, I think we have to go one by one, look at each category of data, um, have a task force slash committee that comes up not only with classifying different kinds of data, but also a broad framework on how to classify your data. So that if later, if the Internet of Things 
sort of comes up with newer categories mm-hmm. we can leverage the same framework yeah. to sort of classify that yeah the other issue that uh, has rec- has been recurring in the biological field again is that is that reidentification could be possible so one of the things that people say is that oh but with this small bit of information you might not be able to reidentify the individual from whom the sample was taken uh, but then people argue that because you are collecting various little bits of information about a person even if you hide their name or their gender um uh, eventually by piecing together bits of data that you have gathered from all over the place you might actually end up getting yeah. sensitive person information there there is a lot of truth to that so um let's say if a company has your aadhar number and mm-hmm. has access to what you've been paying for and your location so it doesn't need your name to identify you because these three data sets mm-hmm. will de-anonymize whoever is sort of the manufacturer of this data not manufacturer yeah. but whoever is generating the data so the more data you have the harder it is to anonymize it this is true especially when it comes to ai because we as humans when we see data we just see a huge spreadsheet but the ai algorithms can just crunch all this data to to identify people so yeah there is a lot of truth to that yeah, i think from a framework point of view I mean, i'm just going to read out what shinzo abe said in osaka um he spoke about uh, as being able to put personal data and data embodying intellectual property again how do you define some of these things yeah. uh, national security intelligence and so on under careful protection while we must enable the free flow of medical industrial traffic and other useful non personal anonymous data uh, which should therefore see no borders and again in this like rohan and you mentioned there are multiple categories in which it can become uh, something which is anonymous can become identifiable uh, and that makes it very tricky um but i think a lot of that has to then do with domestic legislation mm. as to how we uh, sort you know collect the data how do we clean it how do we sort it how do we categorize it um the good thing about this and the sort of a positive side about this challenge is that it's an, it's an, it's a whole new industry waiting to come up yeah um so there are lots of jobs waiting to come up in this domain um provided we get our legislation our regulation right yeah yeah so final thoughts uh, so instead of a plurilateral uh, treaty like the osaka track it uh, is it better for india to come up with a multilateral or bilateral negotiations with specific countries uh, or waiting for the wto to come up with uh, legislation as we have said we would india's reaction to the osaka track um fair what i do understand is that india because we have so many people india has market leverage right so we could dictate a data sharing agreement on our own terms so it doesn't have to be with osaka it could be with a different coalition of people it could be bimstec it could be asean it could be another one that's a shell the idea is that india could take the lead here and come up with its own standard for its own allies to follow and just because we've boycotted the osaka track doesn't mean that we still can't be part of a framework that is strategically and geopolitically useful for us um, so that's me i think uh, i think it's fair for us to stay out of the osaka track while saying we want to understand and if it makes sense to us we'll join it but i think the approach that we're going to take is what we've taken which is the wto approach mm-hmm. i don't think we need to be talking to any other regional bodies uh, where we need to be doing this because uh, at the end of the day there have to be certain complementarities with those countries in that in that body and what do we bring to the table apart from our market and who in these countries let's say bimstec for example mm. uh, has the uh, capacity to exploit the data uh, you know to be able to then 
do business from it um so i think because of those sort of things and obviously there is if it's a geo, if it becomes a geopolitical issue where we try to lead a block outside some of these other guys not under the wto framework but outside uh it would become we would open ourselves and open these other guys also and they would therefore then not join us mm-hmm. to pressure from some of the bigger guys um mm. so that sort of then will sway their options also and we'll find ourselves in a really difficult position so the wto is a good place to go a good place to go and say look this is global governance international rule of law uh the wto is the core body through which all this happens mm. it's language that most people apart from probably the us under trump will sort of be happy with <laughs> um and it's a good way to achieve your own national objectives while doing it so i think it's a i think it's the right approach to go about it um but i think what we need to focus more on is the stuff at the domestic level yeah if we can sort that out and if we can make sure that our startup ecosystem our tech mm. ecosystem our innovation ecosystem is doing well and has the regulatory clarity that is needed then you can do something otherwise you're just having conversations to stall and how long will you stall yeah thanks manush thanks ron all right thanks to keep on listening to all things policy you'd love to hear what you think about this chat check us out at our twitter handle at takshashila inst on our quora space all things policy for the latest analysis and research on technology strategy and economic affairs visit our website at takshashila.org.in and tune in for our next episode